Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Hi, and welcome to episode 242 of Martha Runs the World. This week, it's all about the book, The Lore of Running, and after that, Stick around because I have an apology for something I thought previously and spoke about in a past podcast episode, and I've changed my mind. Well, sort of, but stick around and I'll talk about that after I talk first about the lore of running. The lore of running is a huge book, and it's known as the Bible of running, or it was known as that for many years. It was written by Dr. Tim Noakes, first in 1986, and had a fourth and final edition published in 2002. I wanted to talk about this fabled book because it covered many subjects in running that no one had ever written about previously, or even talked about. It set the stage for all other running books. There was no other book like it before. There might not have been any running books ever written after that. We may not have any of the running books today without Lore of Running. Because of that, I feel it deserves its own episode. Dr. Noakes is a South African professor of exercise science and sports medicine at University of Cape Town and is also a lifelong runner. I don't know if he still is, but he was for many, many years at University of Cape Town anyway. Side note, now this is just a a note. I'm not going to get into some of his more recent theories on eating or his more controversial topics such as flu vaccines. That's for another day and other topics and that's well outside of my scope and this show's scope. In this show, I'm going to focus solely on the book, The Lore of Running. Now, it's no small read. The book is just short of a thousand pages and covers a huge array of running topics. In fact, it covers most topics in running that you could ever want. I'll go over some of the many topics covered. I don't know if I can go over all of them because it would take me all day and the episode would be many hours long. Now, the most important is arguably the central governor theory. This is something that was brought up at the turn of the century, but nobody really thought about it. And then Dr. Noakes brought it up again in his book. The central governor is a proposed process in the brain that regulates exercise in regard to a neurally calculated safe exertion by the body. In particular, Physical activity is controlled so that its intensity cannot threaten the body's homeostasis by causing anoxic damage to the heart muscle, meaning that the brain controls what the body does. Really, in in basic, general, easy terms to understand, that's really what it does. The central governor limits exercise by reducing the neural recruitment of muscle fibers. This reduced recruitment causes the sensation of fatigue. 
The existence of a central governor was suggested to explain fatigue after prolonged strenuous exercise in long-distance running or other endurance sports, but it, its ideas could also apply to other causes of exertion-induced fatigue. Noakes believed that the point in the race when you think you've given everything you've got is actually a signal or response for the brain to slow down to preserve health rather than a physiological reality. In In actuality, Noakes believed that you have more to give physically when this happens. Basically, it's all in your head. <laughs> I like to put things simply and succinctly. Runners experience this during almost every race they run. At mile eight of a half marathon, goal race pace is extremely difficult, and the thought of running faster, even for a minute, seems impossible. Yet, when you get within 400 meters of the finish, you're somehow able to summon a kick to find you running a minute per mile faster than goal pace. Again, it's all in your head, and that's what Noakes truly believed. Once your brain realizes it won't die if you pick up the pace, because the finish line is near, it opens the biological pathways to run faster. Now, that's not to say that physiological demands of a race aren't real. Rather, the central governor theory posits that racing is a balance between physical preparation and biological systems, emotional components such as motivation and pain tolerance, and self-preservation. The exact combination of these factors is what leads to how hard you're able to push during a race. Perhaps the biggest misconception of the central governor theory is that if we could just teach ourselves to push harder or somehow turn off the the central governor of the brain, that we could run faster. Mm, That's not true. However, as mentioned above, racing is a combination of these three important components, physical, emotional, and mental. And what the balance is, is is an individual thing and you got to figure out for yourself. What do they say? A long race like a marathon or an ultra marathon is 90% mental, 10% physical. Maybe not that much, but it sure seems like that, especially in the last few miles of each race. And that's one big part of, actually, you know, in the book, the central governor theory only takes up a few pages of the book. It isn't really much of the book, but it's so important to understand. So if you realize that this is a really important theory and don't just gloss over it as you read the thousand pages that are in the book. You'll understand that this is a really, really big part, and you'll highlight it and make sure and go over it in the future as well. There's so much more other than that in Lore of Running that you should really discover it for yourself. He starts out talking about muscle structure in the first chapter, and then the next chapter is oxygen transport, and that's where you find the central governor theory. It does get quite technical, so it isn't light reading, but he doesn't leave anything out. If if theories of oxygen transport, VO2 max, and all that stuff, and getting into the chemical compounds and all this stuff, it, 
is difficult to understand. I, I get it. It's hard for me to understand, too. I'm not a science person. I don't get all that stuff sometimes. And it sometimes takes me a while for it to sink into my head. But I like looking at it. I like trying to understand. And his writing is really good. He makes it easier to understand than many writers. I've tried to understand a lot of books, especially books written by science-type people. And they're dry and droll and boring. But he makes it very interesting. Even the driest parts of the book are fascinating. If you truly want to understand what VO2 max is, and even if it's important, there are no better guides. There is no better guide than this book. In the energy systems chapter, he dives into carb loading and hypoglycemia and metabolic adaptions and training and more. And it's pretty important. Even though he may have changed some of his views, I haven't changed my views. And I think that a lot of this is very important. One of my favorite chapters is on temperature regulation during exercise. Noakes covers heat, cold, wind, and all the elements. He talks about the weight of clothing, acclimatization, oh Martha, talk, acclimatization, and dehydration. And note, there are plenty of graphs and charts peppered in this book to help make his points. He also includes personal stories from top runners of the time. In the temperature regulation chapter, Anne Trayson talks about her salt ingestion during ultras, and Anne Trayson was a top runner at the time that the book came out. I especially like the section in the chapter on heat safety and feel that every runner should read this. Things haven't changed a lot since this was written. After all the sciencey stuff in the first few chapters, he starts with training, and in the chapter Developing a Training Foundation, it, he gives a lot of information for beginning runners and even for runners who want to take their training a step further. It's really terrific. He lists steps to follow for beginning runners who want to make a serious step into really good training and make it a part of their lives. I'm not going to list everything there, but much of it includes uh, things every runner should know including appropriate shoes, breathing properly, and basic running program, and a lot more. Within the chapter are 15 basic laws of training, thought up first by Arthur Newton, but they are important and need to be highlighted. And these I will talk about. These are number one, train frequently all year long. Now, this doesn't mean to train intensely all year long. Within the chapter, Noakes gives the structure of a year's foundation schedule for base train, for training. And he breaks up the year into five different categories. He has a schedule and he gives you the number of weeks for each s- section. He has base training, intensity training, peaking training, racing, and recovery. So yes, you will train all year long. You will have more down training, like recovery, where you won't be training nearly as much, but you will train all year long. You won't take any time off running completely. You may not run as much in recovery, but you will keep running. Start gradually and train gently. 
So none of this, like, there are people who believe that you should, you don't have to run as much, but every run has to be intense. Every run has to be out there and go, go, go. And that doesn't work well, I don't think. That's asking for injuries, and he doesn't believe that. So start yourself going. Only gradually increase your distance. Don't push your distance really, really hard, fat, really fast. That's a big mistake that beginning runners make. Just go slow, run slower than you sh- you should, or than you think you should, and take it easy, but keep going. Number three, train for distance only later for speed. So start with the distance. Don't do speed work until you have a few months, they say at least a year or more under your belt, and then you can do like one speed work per week. Only one speed work per week. You should not do more than that. Four, don't set your daily training schedule in stone. And we've talked about this before. You have to be flexible. If things come up in your life, you got to move your training around a little bit. Still do it, but be flexible. Five, alternate hard and easy training. And this is a, this is a must. Don't do two hard training sessions in a row. You're just asking for injuries that way. Six, achieve as much as possible possible on a minimum of training. And this makes sense. You don't want to overtrain. You don't want to put so many miles in each week that you're asking for injury. The more we push ourselves, the more we ask for injuries. Now you need to do enough training that your that your body is used to those miles, but you ask people who do 100 miles and even 200 mile races, they don't do They don't go out and practice every week doing 100 miles. They don't go out and practice every week doing 50 miles. They go out and do their regular runs, and they may run 20 miles, but they don't go out and do an exorbitant amount of miles in a session. Seven, don't race when in training or run a race pace for distances above 16K. This is really important. A lot of runners love doing races. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But unless it's your goal race or maybe your B goal race, don't run that race as a race. Use it as a training race and hold back. Don't go out all gonzo and try to win or try to get a PR. Hold back and use it as a training session. Go slower than you think you should or go slower than you will in your in your A race. And that's important. It might be hard to do because you might be competitive and you may want to go out and run super fast, but you got to hold back a little bit. You have to reserve it because you, if you go too fast, too many times in too many races, too soon, you're asking for injury. We've got to treat our body kindly. We really do. Eight specialize. There was a guy in a running group I'm in a few months ago who asked if he could train for Boston Marathon and Western States 100 at the same time. Now, mind you, he's done neither of them. He's never done a 100 miler. He's never done anything past him. I think he did one 50 miler without training and got injured. And he's never run a marathon very fast. And I don't know if it was just a humble brag or if it's just showing off 
or he was really serious about this, but no. The answer was that came back from everybody was, no, you can't. Pick one. You can't do, I mean, you can try to try to accomplish two different types of races in one. Usually, like multitasking, you will be the master at neither. So pick a distance that you want to do as your goal race and work towards that goal and that race. Don't pick two races as your goal races and work towards both. You're either going to do neither of them well, you're going to do too much and get injured, or you're just going to burn out. It's not going to be a good scene. So I would say if you want to do the Boston Marathon, that's amazing, but work towards that because that's a really, really tough, tough race. you got to run fast and you got to run marathons, road marathons fast to get in. And it gets harder and harder every year as they add more charity runners in. The more charity runners they added, the harder it gets. So yeah, if you want Western States, it's even harder because if you never run a hundred miler, you got to start running a hundred milers and then you got to try to get in. And it may take you years to get in, years and years. So you've got to pick one and then work towards it. Don't try to do both because you will probably end up doing neither. So specialize. If you want to do long, long ultras, then do long, long ultras. If you want to run a road marathon really fast, then do that. I mean, if you just want to have fun, you can do both, but then you're just having fun. But it it helps to specialize, though, if you want to do that. I mean, I may do a road marathon, but I don't. I don't plan on doing well in it. I would much rather do ultras. So I'll probably specialize in that and maybe do a marathon here now and then, but I don't care about doing well in them. In cor- nine, incorporate base training and sharpening. So that is, base training is really where the money is. That's your base. It's like building a house and you've got to put the base level in. You've got to put the foundation in. That is your foundation. So you want to sharpen that up. And that includes strength training. So if you're not strength training, you got to strength train. If you've heard my podcast before, you know how much I push that. I push strength training a lot because it's very important. It's really important to get your, to get your quads, your glutes, your core, everything, your arms. If you're going to do any ultras and you need to use trekking poles at any time, your arms got to be strong too. They got to be strong. Your whole body has to be strong. So incorporate that, your base training and sharpening up. 10, prevent overtraining. This goes in with everything else. Don't run too many miles. Take a day off now and then. If you're a streaker, I don't know. I'm not much of a streaker and I don't really believe in it. But If you need to take a day off and ruin your streak, then so be it. You need a day off. You need rest once in a while. 11, train with a coach. This is really good advice, and I may do this next year once I get my medical bills paid off (laughs) and train, start training for a 100-miler. I may get a coach myself. And it's a really good idea, especially if you want to achieve that goal race and you want to get a good time in it or you want even want to finish a distance you've never done before. 12. Train the mind. The mind is the first thing that needs to be trained. If you are a person who can't focus, if you've never had any kind of a focus at all, meditation is really good for that. Get some 
nice uh, meditation in. Calm is a really good app that helps you meditate. I would suggest getting that or some other kind of meditation app to help you relax and meditate. You can do that before bed. It's a really nice way to get your mind at ease before you go to sleep. 13. Rest before a big race. And this doesn't mean just totally vegging out. You can go for, if you want to go for a a very relaxed and slow uh, 5K the day before a race, I think that's great. Just don't go fast. Pull yourself back from going any type of speed at all. Go slow. If you want to walk around, that's great. Do some kind of activity is perfectly fine, but don't do it with any kind of speed at all and just do it with very little effort. Keep a detail, 14, keep a detailed log. I love keeping my journal and I'll probably do it. I'll probably do an episode on journaling. Because I keep a journal on all my runs, especially now that I'm running again after my last surgery. I love keeping a written journal. And I'm not talking about online. I'm talking about a real written journal. You can get a blank notebook, blank book from any, from, oh, Daiso has some. but Or you can get them from any kind of office supply store or from Target or any Walgreens, any place like that. Or you can buy one that's already set up for you. There's plenty of those too if you want that. But just keep a, or, you know, just keep a detailed log, but keep all the information you want in there. It's pretty cool. It's nice to have. And you can look back to see what kind of distance you had. Some runners have kept them for a long, long time. And they still look back at them to this day. And number 15, understand the holism of training. And holism means the all, everything, the whole of it all. Understand that our running goes beyond just running. It's our life. When we eat right, when our nutrition is on cue, when our health is on cue, when we try to keep our weight, our diet, our attitude, our emotions, our mental state, everything is on cue. It works. Everything fits together and it works. It really does. And I'm not saying that you have to be a certain weight or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when we try to be as healthy as we can, regardless of how, of what you weigh, I'm just saying that. Then, um, Everything just works. It just fits in together and it feels good. That's the holism. That's what that means. There is so much more to this book. There's chapters on the half marathon and the marathon and ultra marathon. There's a whole chapter on pushing the limits of performance. There's a chapter on kids. There's a chapter on staying injury free. There's just so much on there, running in your health. There's all kinds of stuff in here that will keep you busy for years, I swear. I I keep going back to it. I've read it through a couple times. I really have, and I keep going back to it and referring to it over the years. It really is a treasure, 
and it really should be on every runner's in every runner's library. If you keep a library of running books, this should be there. I mean, I could spend hours upon hours just browsing through it, and I have over the years, and you should too. And that is Dr. Tim Noakes' The Lore of Running. I said I was going to give an apology, and I am. Well, sort of. <laughs> okay. Many, no, many months ago, I stated my unhappiness with UTMB, and I was unhappy with them, and I still am in one regard. I'm very happy with them in another. I watched a lot of the UTMB races, races, they have multiple races, over this past week in Switzerland, in Chamonix, and it was really exciting. I loved following it as much as I could. I loved following the races. I loved watching Courtney Dahlwalter and Jim Walmsley win. That was really cool. Very cool winning and very cool watching their progress. I loved watching some of the friends of the show do their perspective races and courses, some of the guests of the show actually ran and some of the show listeners ran. Let's see, some of the runners that I, and if I left out anybody, I apologize, but this is what I found. Past guests, Jonathan Acott and Todd Glyden ran and show listeners, Dan Aspromonte and Fritz both ran. So congratulations, guys. You did excellent jobs on your different races. And there are different courses, different races, different distances. So, and they're all tough. Even the, the shorter distances are really tough because you're out up in the mountains and the elevation is nasty. <laughs> very, very difficult elevation and very difficult courses. So whatever you ran, it was hard, 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 and just beautiful scenery, amazingly beautiful scenery. I've never been there, but it looks absolutely spectacular. So well done. Well done to everyone. I still haven't changed my mind about UTMB taking over the little races all over the world and kind of commercializing them. That I still don't like, but we'll let leave that aside and say that the way they handle the race in Switzerland, in Chamonix and around there is just amazing. They just do such a great job and well done with another successful year. It was fun watching. It was fun keeping track of the races from work. You just made it really easy to do that. All the YouTube videos and all the videos and Facebook that you posted, I loved every last one of them. At the finish line, that was really cool. I loved those. So that was neat. I really enjoyed it. I take back my unhappiness a little bit. So for that, I do apologize a little bit. I don't apologize all the way, but for a little bit, I do. All right, so that is today's show, and thank you so much. And the link for the Amazon where you can buy Laura Running, if you do, I have nothing to do with it. I have nothing to do with Amazon or the book. I'm just saying if you want to, you can. It will be on the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com, as will the link for UTMB if you want to sign up for next year when it when you can. It's really hard to get into, so good luck. That will also be on the website. That's MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. I don't know if I mentioned it or not. Oh, boy. My email, if you want to email me, is MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for runs.